0: Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we continue to wait for final election results and the, uh, the ensuing court battles over ballot counting. The, it goes on and on. We'll be talking about that on our program today. We're also going to be taking a look at the, where we go from here, the impact especially on agriculture, one of the big items, uh, big uh, events of this election, of course, for agriculture was the defeat of Colin Peterson, chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. He had a lot of support by many ag groups, uh, but he has been defeated. We'll talk about that with the president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, Kevin Papp, will join us a little bit later on, and we'll talk about uh, moving forward with some big changes there. So I mean, that's a lot of influence, a lot of uh, clout uh, for agriculture that uh, will not be there, so let's kind of start over. We'll talk about that. Also, the market's hot today. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. And I'll also have some thoughts, uh, some takeaways that I have from uh, this election process a little bit later on as well. But let's talk about the election with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, good to talk with you again. Um, Well, the voting is over, but the counting is not. And uh, that's uh, got its own share of controversy. And it looks like it could be a while before we get final results.
2: Yes, I've just been watching TV this morning, and uh, you know it's just uh, slow. It's like drip, drip, drip. Uh, so we really don't have anything, anything more today. It still stands at about the same place uh, for uh, Biden and, and Trump, um, looking better for Biden, but not certain because of all the votes that still have to be uh, that still have to be counted. Uh, I must say that it's, uh, it's a beautiful, quiet day in Washington. Uh, we have a lot of boarded-up businesses that, because they were worried that there could be uh, demonstrations and possibly looting, if, uh, particularly here if Trump had been declared the victor, uh, but also, of course, some concerns about right-wingers as well. Uh, so we're just, at this moment, on the, on the presidential front, just playing a waiting game.
0: Not knowing the final results, but it would seem to me that one of the takeaways from this, regardless of whether it's Biden or Trump that wins the presidential uh, race, uh, there was no big wave, either red or blue. I know uh, a lot of Democrats thought they were going to maybe get the Senate. That didn't look likely at this point. They thought they were going to get some big gains in the House, and they actually lost seats in the House, uh, and, of course, uh, Biden may win the White House, so it it just seems to me there wasn't that that tidal wave, red or blue.
2: Yes, I think what this election did was solidify the uh, the divides in the country, uh, with, in which especially urban and or excuse me, rural and small town America voted Republican mostly, while the uh, uh, while the cities and the and a lot of the suburbs voted uh, voted Democratic. Obviously, you did have those shifts on the presidential level in uh, Wisconsin uh, and, and uh, Michigan and probably, maybe, in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, the other shift that I see that's interesting is, of course, Arizona. Uh, you, can, you now kind of have a southwestern democratic region uh, that kind of attaches itself to California and the Pacific Northwest. And that is something uh, new in our politics. Uh, so we do have some we have some regional shifts there, but uh, but not the waves that people were hoping. I think we're just going to have these two re, uh, these two regions or two types of places in the country. Um, Senator Heidi Heitkamp was on a, a webinar yesterday in which she talked about that and the fact that these two. Uh, sections of America view each other so differently and says we need to have more conversation at the local level this if we're going to reach any kind of unity it can't come from the top down we have to have conversations about the problems that people see in rural America and in urban America uh and and move from there
0: yeah well, the need for unity is very evident that's for sure and you talk about those shifts and that's tr- what you talked about was one shift, the strength of the president winning in Florida the way he did, which surprised a lot of people, and appealing to uh, those in Florida. And that's always a kind of a changing demographic there. But that's another shift that took place on the Republican side.
2: Uh, well, yes, and but I would also say that that was a shift on the Democratic side because the Democrats proved, proved to be so weak among the Latino voters in uh, Florida especially whether not so much Mexican American, but from other uh, other places, uh, that was very important. Their their poor turnout in in the Miami Dade County area was uh, was very important to uh, to uh, Trump taking Florida.
0: I would say both sides have a lot of work to do. I would say, and we'll see where it goes from here. Meanwhile, I mentioned Colin Peterson. I mean that, uh, regardless of how you feel on that race, the void in influence and leadership on the house ag committee uh that's going to be felt
2: oh definitely uh this was a major loss for agriculture uh first of all i think it showed that if it's a choice between agriculture and cultural issues uh uh, in a rural district the cultural issues win one of the things that peterson noted uh and i saw also that uh michelle fishbach uh tied him to the, uh, to you know, to the Democrats in Minneapolis, um, and their representation from Elon Hamar, and the fact and Peterson noted that Minneapolis and Saint Paul are so different from the way they were 30, 40 years ago. In those days, the people who lived in Minneapolis and Saint Paul were people who had grown up on farms and moved to the city. Now, so many of the people who live there are people who have come from out of state and even out of the country. So I think this urban-rural split, even in what we consider to be farm states, is is a, a very important phenomenon that we need to pay more attention to.
0: Yep. And now we look to see what may or may not get done in a, in a lame duck session. I mean, there's some things that need to get done.
2: Well, I uh, you know, I have actually just uh, emailed Senator Hoven, uh, the chairman of Senate Ag Appropriations, because... Uh, uh... uh, mcconnell the majority leader now says he wants to do a coronavirus package this year and i'm wondering if they're still going to be trying to get that twenty billion for agriculture uh... i would think it'll be harder to do that because the commodity prices have gone up and people will say well why do the farmers need more money uh... now the farmers will of course uh... still point to all kinds of, of problems but um, uh, that's, the, that's the main thing that I'll be watching in the lame duck period. Uh, and, of course, whatever the politicking goes on for, the, for whoever will be the successor to uh, Peterson as the chair of the House Ag Committee.
0: It will be interesting for sure. Jerry, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot.
2: Good to talk to you, and uh, look, we'll uh, look forward to exchanging views uh, as this, as this uh, election process continues.
0: Yeah, maybe next time we talk, we'll actually have the final results, hopefully. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, we'll talk about uh, the situation in Minnesota and the House Ag Committee, Colin Peterson's defeat, and more issues, reflections on the election with the president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, Kevin Papp, next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro.
4: I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turn slowly, so accident avoided. But no
1: car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000-pound bus. It's our roads. It's
4: our
5: safety.
3: safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
0: Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is our good friend Jim Bear, president and CEO of U.S. Apple. I know that the U.S. Apple Association is making a big donation for this effort to help feed school kids. Tell us about it, please. We've had this program for several years, our apples for education program, and it's not about just giving
6: away apples. It's actually intended to provide funds for creative Programs that get proposed and to teach kids about healthy eating.
2: And when schools school
6: started shutting down last spring, I mean, even though a lot of apples go into the school lunch program, but, um, this is really not about just giving away apples. It just seemed natural. Our segment of agriculture ought to try and help out. And so we're providing this grant of $20,000 to the School Nutrition Association to purchase food and packaging for grab-and-go meals, for mobile carts and kiosks
0: at curbside
5: distribution,
0: and uh, personal protective equipment to keep the workers safe. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
7: No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you
5: sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date?
0: Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together.
5: Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I
7: ate. (laughs) I can probably swim.
2: Uh, you should wait 30 minutes.
7: Mm, Okay, (laughs) now tell me what to do.
2: Cannonball! (laughs)
7: call a cab a car or a friend Buzz driving is drunk driving a message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council
0: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel with Cenex Premium Diesel you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape
1: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on Agriculture
0: now back to Mike Adams So we were talking in the last segment about the impact on agriculture, the loss of Colin Peterson as chairman of the House Ag Committee as he was defeated in his reelection bid. Let's talk about it with the president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, Kevin Papp. Kevin, thank you for joining us. I know you work closely with Chairman Peterson. Your thoughts uh, on how that will impact uh, agriculture moving forward? Obviously, a lot of experience, a lot of influence will be lost there.
4: You know, there is no better champion for agriculture than Colin Peterson, and, uh, whether it be that is district, the state, or the entire council. So, certainly is going to be missed. And, you know, not only Mr. Peterson, but, you know, we've lost a lot of, uh, expertise. 40 hours with, 40 years with, uh, Pat Roberts, Mr. Peterson's 30 years, uh, um, Mr. Uh, uh, Conaway's uh, 15 years, I think. We really are going to miss that 85 years of experience running
0: the ag committees. You know, that's a good point. I guess I really hadn't thought about that. But with uh, Mike Conaway and uh, Pat Roberts uh, retiring, yeah, that's a big void in congressional ag leadership. So we'll see uh, who's, who steps into those roles. Uh, meanwhile, we were also talking about last segment, uh this divide in the country we know we're a politically divided country but this divide between rural and urban areas and elections uh point that out more and more each time and this one certainly did you can just see it on the map
4: you can and, and that's not good for anybody at any level and you know and i think that's another reason that we're going to miss uh chairman peterson and and uh and Conaway, uh, uh, Mike, and, and, and Mike Conaway and the chairman, you know, their legacy, I believe, in the Ag Committee will be the working together. It didn't matter who was ranking number and who was chair. We saw that go back and forth uh, multiple times. They all treated each other with respect and, quite frankly, showed the rest of the committees how the working together works and we have to do things on a bipartisan basis.
0: Yeah, that approach uh, seemingly is um, becoming a thing of the past. We need to get back to that—the uh, willingness to reach across the aisle and work together—and we'll see uh, if if that happens moving forward or not. Uh, so that was the big headline out of your state of Minnesota. What were some of your other thoughts on the election?
4: Well, it's uh, you know it's certainly an interesting season, and as you hear, a lot of outside ads and things like that. Uh, um, I guess in agriculture, we learn there's other things important uh, to constituents besides the agriculture issues, the rural issues, and, and we see that in a state of like Minnesota, where we've got about half the population uh, in our urban centers, and there's getting to be more of them than us, and that's that's something that uh, if we can't work together, it's not going to end well.
0: That is really the growing challenge. It's not new, but it, it continues to grow for agriculture to be able to relate to and communicate with and build coalitions with uh, these urban areas and citizens and try to uh, you know find common ground and, and work together. It, it, it's a big educational process, if nothing else.
4: It really is, and I think maybe we should spend less time talking about farms and farming and talk more about food. That's really what we do. That is our connection with everybody uh, across the the U.S. and and talk about everything the farm families do to to provide food. And I think if we can't make the connection through food to agriculture, it's going to be a a tough road to hold.
0: One of the things that potentially could have had could have big changes would be policy. We wait to see the the who wins the, the White House. But it looks like Republicans will keep the Senate. Uh, so there, there's still that balance of power, the checks and balances uh, and not a Complete wave, as many were talking about. So it'll be interesting to see things like the Green New Deal proposal and uh, you know some environmental policies that were talked about in the campaign. Whether or not those happen or not, those would certainly have a big impact on agriculture.
4: They will. You know, when we think about uh, politics, it's really the partisanship that uh, rises to the top. But when we think about policy, um, the best way to have good policy is working together, bipartisan having both sides on board, having that committee process and everything else. And uh, hopefully now that the, the politics is kind of over and we're back to policy, we can get back to working together.
0: We're talking with Kevin Papp, president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau. Kevin, when you talk about that urban-rural divide, your state certainly is an example of that and, 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 and trying to... To represent farmers in that environment, both in your state and on the national level, how difficult is that now? What What's your big challenge there in trying to uh, uh, continue to represent your members and get the things done that uh, they want to get done?
4: Well, the challenge is to, to one to listen and to make sure we've got that trust, that accountability. Uh, but it's it's really kind of that importance to uh, to let them understand that it's really food is our connection. You know, we've got the disconnected generation of two two in many places. And and we're going to see an increase in challenges, I believe, as we look at redistricting. And we're going to see less and less representation um, from the rural areas. And we're going to be be forced, quite frankly, um, to work together. So we've got to figure out what are those things. Let's let let's let our urban cousin understand we've got the same values we've got the same things we want as a family as, as they do and and connect but i think a lot of listening is going to be involved
0: when you walk the halls and and go to the offices in the state capitol as well as in washington dc is there an openness to you and and to the ag message or do you find that harder to get across
4: so the egg message, if it's strictly egg, uh, gets harder and harder. We've got to talk about importance of food, a secure food supply, a safe food supply, nutritious. We've got to talk about um, the environment and making sure that, uh, you know, our, our, our farms are around not necessarily for the last 124 years, but the next 124 years, making sure so it has to be environment, natural resources, food safety, um, those are the things that all consumers can connect with us, and we need to realize and help each other understand we're more alike than we are different.
0: Well, let's talk about your harvest. Uh, when I talked to you yesterday, you were you said you were wrapping up. Where, how how did it go?
4: It went well. We had beautiful weather in October for harvest. I uh, know um, it always hurts, but there's always somebody listening that weather concerns or something else, we have a great crop, but quite frankly, uh, we had the best corn and soybean crops we've had in my 39 years of farming, great weather, um, had a few days of snow, but we're, sun's back out, we're back in the field doing some tillage, and there's not many crops left in southern Minnesota.
0: So, you're happy with your yields, and probably happy with the, uh, the, the market rally that took place during harvest, too.
4: Well, you know, there's always something to worry about, but for the, the yields we had, with the weather we had while we got to harvest, and quite frankly, the increase of, of prices has been very helpful. Uh, we really have a lot uh, we've been blessed with this fall, especially when you compare it to some of the prior years where it's been such a struggle. So, just want to make sure everybody that's still out there is still being safe, taking care of themselves, and, and just making sure we can do the best job we can, and continually improve in agriculture.
0: And to come back around to where we started, working in the in government, uh, one of the things we'll be watching to see in the lame duck session, will there be another stimulus package? And if so, will it have any uh, ag components to it? What are your thoughts on that?
4: Well, that could be a, a tough, you know, uh, you know sometimes uh, we've got a, a lame duck. Uh, I've heard it better described sometimes as a mad duck. Uh, Session sometimes, so it uh, um, we're, we're going to continue to be at the table from a farm bureau perspective, making sure that uh, our members are being represented. But uh, there's a lot to do yet in Congress, and not a lot of working days left.
0: All right, good to talk with you, Kevin. Glad Harvest went well, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. All right, have
4: a great day, and everybody stay safe.
0: Take care, Kevin Pat, President of the Minnesota Farm Bureau. Yeah, he made a great point. When you think about it, Colin Peterson, chairman of the House Ag Committee, defeated in his re-election bid. Pat Roberts, chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, retired. And Mike Conway, a former chair of the House Ag Committee, was ranking member here this uh, past couple years. Now he is retired. That is a lot of leadership in the congressional Ag Committee. So we will see you know, those will be big positions to fill and big shoes to fill as we move forward. I think it was Sarah White said well, she said earlier this week, "Good thing we're not writing a farm bill this year. That would have really been tough with all these changes. All right, coming up next, lots of uh, things going on with the markets. Arlen Suderman joins us next from Stone X. You're listening to AOA. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
5: In your everyday business operations, there are endless things you can't control. Fuel prices don't have to be one of them. With the Average Price Contracting Program available at FS, we can provide you with a way to reduce the uncertainty of fluctuating fuel prices. It's a smart and convenient way for you to know what your fuel costs are going to be so that you can enjoy a little peace of mind the average price contracting program at FS is just one more way that we can help take your business further. Contact your FS energy specialist today. Visit gofurtherwithfs.com for more information.
1: Adams on agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
8: now for a market check here on Adams on agriculture i'm rusty halverson from the american ag network a rally is underway in the grain and oil seed sector on this thursday soybean futures corn futures wheat futures trending higher strong sales to mexico a driver for higher corn prices usda reporting net sales of corn exports totaling 2.61 million metric tons 1.06 1.06 million tons being purchased by Mexico. Meanwhile, sales to China totaling 212,300 metric tons. Overall, corn sales fell within expectations, as did wheat and soybeans at 597,100 tons and 1.53 million tons, respectively. In soybean futures, November up 28 cents, 11.06 and a half. January up 22 at 11.08. Corn December up 11 at 4.16 and a quarter. March up nine and a half at 4.21. Chicago wheat December up 17 and a half at 6.23 and a half. Kansas City wheat December up 17 and three quarters at 5.77 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 14 at 5.71. March Minneapolis at 5.85 and a half up 14 cents livestock at the american live cattle futures december up 57 at 10840 february up 42 at 11120 feeder cattle january up 57 at 13572 cash cattle activity has been light so far on the week at mostly 107 live asking prices for remaining show lists 108 to 110 Clean Hog Futures December up 82, 67.17. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 615. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
5: Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-hmm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic
0: Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back
0: to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, normally I would say, is there any steam left in this rally? Well, it's full speed ahead today, isn't it?
6: It really is, and one of the keys from a historical standpoint, we can look at is how we 've pushed above the eleven dollar mark. If we look historically at the soybean price and 't you know it 's one of those cases where you say past performance doesn 't dictate what it does in the future, but the soybean market has an interesting history. Uh, we usually when we rally, we usually turn lower before we take out the eleven dollar mark we 've only spent about four percent of the time in the last 15 years in that 11 to 1150 level and only 2% in the 1150 to $12 level and another 2% of the time in the 1250. uh, The 12 to 1250 level, and 3% of the time in the 1250 to $13 level. So, in other words, once we get above $11, the market usually, not always, but usually just flies right on through. There was one time when it turned around at the $12 mark or just above the $12 mark, but from a history standpoint, this is a very significant move that we're seeing here right now.
0: All right, so what are you thinking? Uh, you know, you've got farmers got some bins uh, with beans in them and they see $11. Uh, now they're thinking okay, do we go to 12 yeah,
6: well, unfortunately, a lot of farmers just have the play bushels left in them as they sold most of their beans
8: yeah. um, <laughs> yeah.
6: across the scales because of the big inverse in the market and a relatively strong basis. Um, but, yeah, they want to know what to do with Others want to know, do I reown them or what do I do? And I'd say from the standpoint of the fundamentals, soybeans at least have a fundamental story here, and we have a lot of fund money coming in. It really became hesitant ahead of the uncertainty of the election not knowing what to do. Now, we still don't know who the president's going to be, and we probably won't for some time, but the market does feel certainty that we'll have a divided Congress, so therefore Mm -hmm. it feels like there won't be any major policy changes in the next couple of years, so therefore fund managers are feeling confident again to go ahead and and pursue the directions they were pursuing, and that means they're playing the inflation role for the grain and oil seeds markets, Uh, and um, they seem to have fundamental story especially soybeans Chinese demand is strong Chinese buyers aren't about to back off or cancel purchases until they know the size of the Brazilian crop that won't be known for a while the forecast is dry in the southern third or so of of Brazil and most of Argentina's growing belt and uh, La Nina tends to facilitate that right on through December and
0: January You know, you touched on something that I've been focused on and was really paying attention to going into the election. That was, uh, would there be a wave? People talking about a red wave or a blue wave, and they were talking about it could be a tidal wave. Uh, But we didn't see that. And uh, regardless of who wins the White House, it looks like the Senate stays Republican. The House stays Democrat, although the Republicans picked up some seats in the House. But that divided government, the Uh, The checks and balances, I I think when that came out of this election, uh, that kind of, as you mentioned, kind of sent some reassuring notes uh, to the markets that, hey, we're not going to go dramatically or drastically one way or the other, Uh, and I think we're we're seeing uh, that reflected, right?
6: Absolutely. That's where the confidence is in the markets right now. Um, as long as they know that we 've got gridlock in Congress they 're happy because they know what to expect and they can they can plan based on that and uh, so that 's freeing up the money flow and The other factor a way this is reflected is in the vix we've talked about that before ahead of the elections late last week, it surged above forty. Um, it generally trades around ten to twenty it 's wall street 's fear index i 've observed in the past that when it 's above thirty. It's hard for any commodity to sustain a rally unless it has a strong story. Well, over the last two days, it has plummeted and is trading in the 27 area now, traded as low as 26 early this morning. So the fear on Wall Street has eased considerably, and that's freed up the money flow.
0: So gridlock can be good, is what we're saying here. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. All right, let's uh, focus on the corn side.
6: Well, when we go to the corn side, this is, you know, I've talked about how soybeans have the strongest story. No one wants to give up on it. Corn can still go either way. In my opinion, corn is priced in expectations that we will see China raise its uh, tariff rate. Quota to 20 million metric tons there are some people out there making an argument for 30 million metric tons you can make that solid argument but I can also make an equally strong argument that they'll only raise it to 10 or 12 million metric tons I have my balance sheet at 12 million metric tons right now and so the markets priced in excess demand the other side of the coin is what if we have significant shutdowns due to coronavirus now the polls are leaning toward i say the polls the numbers from counting ballots in the state electoral college right now is leaning toward biden biden has said he's open to a national shutdown once he takes office if that happens was it due to ethanol demand we just have to look back to last spring that can totally offset that demand and we have a that export demand to china if we get it and what if we don't get it Um, So corn can go either way. Then you throw in the weather risk for productions in South America. You can build a bullish case or a bearish case for corn. Right now the trade is leaning to the bullish side. It's riding the tidal wave, but farmers just need to know that that may happen, but there is risk to it, so don't put all your eggs in that one basket.
0: Still selling a lot to Mexico, right?
6: We are, and Mexico's buying a lot of corn for next year, if out of next year's crop. So, what Mexico is doing right now, it appears, is they're one of our major customers, if not the largest customer. And so, they are concerned what if China does raise their TRQ to 20 or 30 million metric tons? If they do that this year, then they're probably going to do it next year as well. And so Mexico's worried, wants to make sure it gets its share of the corn before prices really go up and we start seeing rationing of supplies. Um, so we're seeing a little bit of hoarding on Mexico's part there. And, of course, we'll take that right now.
0: So we, it's early, but you have to look at the, the drought monitor and the concerns over dry weather and La Nina and what impact that could have as we go into next year.
6: absolutely and uh, as we look ahead next year you know we mentioned the risks for South America which um, Argentina tends to see corn yields maybe twenty percent below normal in similar type of La Nina years Um, they're one of our major export competitors but that's still a relatively small part of the world trade but what about our next growing season Uh, I follow several climatologists Uh, One of them is starting to put the warnings out about next year. He acknowledges that confidence is very low out there, but looking at the strength that this La Nina is expected to get, um, there is some risk for next year's Midwest growing season. It's hard to put a number on how high it is, but he says, I just wouldn't become overly confident in expecting a good growing season next year with this strong La Nina developing.
0: Well, what a year 2020 has been. Who would have thought in June or even into July we'd be talking $11 soybeans?
6: Yeah, and I don't want to say that I've got special knowledge or anything like that. It's just being in this business for four decades last spring, I just had a sense, man, when things get this dark, history has told me something's going to change. I didn't know what it would be, didn't know if it would happen, but you you just get that feeling in the years past when things got that bleak and looking that bad, that's when things start to turn around. Cheap prices start buying demand. We did feel like China would be a strong buyer as we got into the last half of the year. That we did expect to happen. Uh, The weather problems coming in were something we did not know, and that's what really gave some meaning to it.
0: Yeah, it's not been a good year for forecasters in politics or, or markets, but you're right. You have said that many times. Uh, you've kind of had that darkest before the dawn approach that when things look to be at their worst, that's about the time they turn around. Yeah,
6: and all I can go off of is 40 years of experience in these grain and oil seed markets. That's what tends to happen. Um, so it doesn't have to repeat itself, but that's exactly right. That tends to be the cycle that we see in these markets, and, and right now it's working. And with all the money supply we have in the system, there's a lot of money out there wanting to chase the markets at this time.
0: Hey, final thoughts as we wrap up Harvest. Uh... That, do we have a good handle now? Do we have a good handle on this year's production?
6: Yeah, most of the crops are basically harvested as far as nationally going into this November crop report next week. So the expectation is this report should probably ratchet down production a little bit. That's not going to be as big a factor as Chinese demand or what happens in South American weather, uh, but it does give us a handle on the supply side and really allow us to focus on the demand side.
0: All right, Arlen. Uh- Good timing to have you on today with the uh, the market going wild like it is. Uh, good to, good to have some uh good news to talk about, right?
6: It is certainly good to have the green <laughs> on the screen when we talk once in a while.
0: So every time we have you on now, we're going to expect higher prices. So uh we kind of you've kind of <laughs> um, set the bar now, okay?
6: pressure's on. No pressure. Okay, thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Up next, as we await uh, vote counts and court battles over the election, I'll have some thoughts on what we have seen in this uh, election cycle, what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've had plenty of all those, and we'll talk about it next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges.
7: These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 Food Bank Strong.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Joel Haggard, Senior Vice President for the Asia-Pacific Region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's joining us from Hong Kong. Tell us about some of your efforts there to promote U.S. meat products and how it's going. This
6: has been an extraordinary year, not only because of COVID, but probably more so because of the African swine fever outbreak that's really cut back China's pork supplies. We've been shipping a lot of pork to China, record amounts. This year, we're seeing the beef really starting to pop, right? Now, we've been promoting um, in all types of formats in store promotions at stands club, barbecues for traders, a lot of uh, seminars and other educational events for chefs and distributors. Pretty much the full gamut of activities. The audience has been very receptive because we're in a particularly favorable position right now on both beef and pork, but on the beef side because of uh, Australia's uh, tight supply situation. So it's been pretty
0: encouraging. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
5: We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station.
0: takeaways from, from this election. The the 2020 election, the voting is over, but obviously the counting of those votes is not. That's very controversial, and now it's we're looking at legal challenges, so wait to see. Obviously, the race was extremely tight, and that puts uh, emphasis on each and every vote. We always say, every vote counts. Well, this is a good example of it this year. You now, as we wait for those final results... We look back on a long campaign that featured the good, the bad, and the ugly of modern politics. And we had plenty of all of those categories. Let's start with the good. I think no doubt the good from this election was the large voter turnout. For various reasons, voters were certainly engaged in this election with record numbers voting. This was a complete change from the recent trend of voter apathy and low turnouts. It remains to be seen if this will continue in future elections, but it may prove to be a rare positive uh, from this uh, from this campaign and the political divisions within our country. It Maybe it took the sharp political differences to get voters engaged one side or the other, and we've certainly seen that with record turnouts. Uh, we've also seen from that that One of the things on the ballot that maybe we didn't even realize was on the ballot was the credibility of our election process. And we are now kind of seeing the the results of that. We have problems. We have some issues that need to be addressed there. So we'll talk about those in just a moment. But again, uh, voter turnout was a real positive, the good of this election. Of course, there was plenty of bad in this election as well. Along with the negative rhetoric from both sides that we've uh, been listening to for some time, a staggering amount of money has been spent trying to get candidates elected. If politicians spent as much money on the issues they say they will resolve as they do on their campaigns, we might actually get something accomplished. That's just so much money that has spent millions and millions of dollars in these campaigns. Oftentimes talking about how they're going to fix issues where there is financial need. How about moving some of that campaign money into those areas and try to address those issues? The other thing out of this, uh, one of the bad parts that came out of this election, I think, is that we have a real problem in our in our voting system. I mean, we are our, our elections may be the envy of the world, but we have some real issues. And when you have tight a tight race like this one, and this may be the case moving forward for some time, it it shines a spotlight on problems that may have already been there but uh, really kind of got overlooked if the election's not razor thin margins like we're having now. So I think we really need to find out isn't there a better way to, to collect and count votes. We need to come to some kind of a consensus on this. I realize different states have different voting laws, but counting votes should not be this hard or take this long. And I realize you got more to count this year, but a state like Florida had lots of votes and they seem to do it quickly and pretty smoothly, but other states are, are struggling with this. And the longer it takes, the more the results will be questioned. Piles and boxes of uncounted votes taking days to be counted allow for conspiracy theories to run rampant. We need to avoid that. Another bad from this election is polling. After what happened four years ago, you would have thought we would have known better. Any poll or survey system is only as good as the accuracy of the input received, and obviously many voters, especially in this election, did not want to reveal who they were voting for. So it was going to skew some of those uh, polls. It's also obvious that some pollsters and many media outlets try to use poll numbers to influence the outcome of the election. Still, just like a weatherman who is repeatedly wrong, many continue to believe the next forecast will be right. So, and we, contend to, we kind of go along with, uh, we tend to uh, listen to those forecasts if they're kind of going in the direction we want them to go in. So we keep going back to them even though they're repeatedly wrong. Let's get to the ugly of this election. The ugly has been painfully evident for some time. Yard signs stolen or vandalized. Store windows boarded up for fear of, of uh, unrest after an election. An election should show America at its best and its strongest, not at its worst or its weakest. People around the world envy our, our rights here and freedoms to vote and have this process, and yet what we show is <laughs> so often that how much of a problem it is and how controversial it is. We need, and then people fearing the results, the outcome of an election, that should not be America. What elections are all about are people being able to express their views on candidates and issues. They should be able to do that without fear of, uh, of retribution and attacks on them for speaking out. We are certainly a politically divided nation, and we may not agree with the outcome of election, but we should all agree on everyone's right to participate in them without fear or intimidation. We will always have our differences, and elections tend to highlight them, but we need to find a way to make those differences our strength and not our weakness. You know, COVID-19 put the spotlight on our election process. It, it spurred, uh, in many cases, early voting so we need to look at our system and, and see how we can improve it and make it better. Hey, the countdown is on. The 2022 elections will be here before we you know it, and the 2024 presidential election will be here before we know it. It's, it's starting up already. So we really need to look at the system. We also need to ask, do networks really need to call races? Do we need them to de- declare winners? Why don't we just wait till we have the results? I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the really good things that's come out of this, too, there was not a tidal wave, either blue or red. Tidal waves tend to do a lot of damage. I think we better, we're better we better served with checks and balances in our, our, in our government. And it seems like that's what's going to come out of this, regardless of who wins the White House. Yep, it's on again. The next election right around the corner. Let's hope we learn the lessons from this one. Thanks for being with us, everyone, on AOA.